Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today I'm going to start by playing a clip. This is a clip of the writer, the humor writer, David Sedaris. Is this someone you're familiar with? Tiffany? Not very much. I mean, I'd, I definitely had heard the name. I'd probably seen him on video a couple of times in interviews, but I don't really know what he's famous for. Like what are his, like what his, his, his resume is. I'm not, I just, I'm not that familiar. Well, he mainly writes humor essays, but I think the, the essay that got him to be the most famous and still is a part of people's annual Christmas traditions is an essay that he wrote uh, called the Santa Land Diaries that he recorded for NPR, and now it plays every year. That is just about his experience working as an elf beside a department <laughs> store Santa. It's <laughs> such a funny essay that uh, I think that was what broke him onto the scene for the vast majority of people. Uh, okay, both describing himself as an elf, the other elves that he works with, and also the various Santas that play Santa. It's uh-huh. just it's just very funny. Anyway, this is a little clip that I pulled from his master class. Just recorded it with my phone, so hopefully that's okay. But I thought it was an interesting <laughs> idea and one that we might I think it's short enough that, you know. Yeah. And it's an interesting idea. I thought we could toss it around and and uh okay. and see what we think. So here here is David Sedaris. You know, one beautiful thing about living in another country is that people don't think you really count in a way. People don't think that you really understand what it is that they're saying. They don't, they often don't count you as a complete human being. And personally, I love that because people are more apt to be, there was something I was reading the other day that your character is based on how you treat the people you're allowed to mistreat, right? So like when you see somebody shouting at a busboy who speaks no English, you know, or a hotel maid who comes and knocks on their door, somebody who's kind of powerless to complain about them, um, that says a lot about that person's character to me. But it's fascinating to be that person, to be that busboy, to be that hotel maid, and to have people treat you that way. For me, it's like they're handing me money. I mean, I absolutely live for it. But again, you kind of want to get in there and you want to set the record straight and say, actually, no, this is who I am. But then you would ruin the moment. So, yeah. Well, so a couple I've thoughts heard a lot in of... there. A couple thoughts in there. Um, he's getting at a few different notions. But what strikes you first? The first thing that strikes me is that it's very different to be someone living abroad or traveling abroad, you know, as either an expat or a tourist, and having their experience, and to be an immigrant working in a low-paying, quote-unquote, low-skilled job who is probably very likely discriminated against often Mm -hmm. and repeatedly. And I just can't, it's a very interesting take and I'm willing to explore the take, but the glaring thing that jumped out at me was 
him equating himself with busboys or you know i can't remember what the other person was a maid in a a hotel Mm -hmm. hotel maid i mean these are some of the hardest working lowest paid lowest appreciated jobs and a lot of times they're filled by immigrants i just doubt that people who have that type of job would have the same like oh isn't it great they don't know who i am i'm just anonymous to them they don't know who i am so they treat me like garbage what a gift <laughs> well yeah i think i think it's two things i mean he i i do think and i don't know a lot about his background in life but i do believe that i might remember that he says somewhere around this clip that he lived as an expat in another country for a significant period of time but that said, I think he he's also this take comes from being a famous guy. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it, it's it's not just being a white guy. It's being a famous guy who is recognized and known, you know. So for him, this idea of the privilege of not being known, of disappearing yes. into society, uh, partly comes from the fact that people know who he is. You know, he's recognizable and... I mean, and not recognizable in the way that an actor is recognizable. I mean, he's a writer, but he, he is a relatively prominent writer that lots of people have seen perform, you know. So I think, yeah, I think his take also comes from that, that sort of desire of... To be anonymous Yeah, an- anonymity that comes from, you know, being known much at the time. <laughs> that said, I decided to pull this clip because I wanted to explore that idea because I very much felt in a way, like he described when I was first living in Rome, when I was there, you know, in the very beginning of the show, 2013, 2014, I did feel like people completely overlooked me as a, as a true human being. And because, you know, my communication skills were bad, I didn't know my way around at all. I was messing up all the time. And I think as a result of that, I did get the feeling that most people were not interested in me or even considering me as a a true full member person in society and it was an interesting experience to go from you know especially going from a place where we essentially grew up I not only am a person in this society the threads go so deeply like I'd been in this place for so long to then move to a place you are sometimes recognized just by your voice. By my voice, not by my looks. But yes, but that's like the uh, the lowest form of what David Sedaris is talking about. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, being a radio personality. But yeah, to go from sort of being known at least deeply by friends and knowing the community to, you know, I just remember that experience of people either lightly engaging with me or not wanting to engage with me at all or just overlooking you entirely like there were big swaths of time when I lived in Rome where I felt like I feel like I'm completely invisible here did you ever feel like that was positive in any way interesting notable like I get that too I mean I remember too when I was a a new expat and I don't think it was quite as dramatic as your situation because I did speak Italian uh, to a certain extent when I moved here And I was, you know, actively trying to find a job and, you know, I was meeting some people, but I definitely felt that sense of almost like I can, the only positive thing I can kind of get out of it is this sense of like, I can kind of get away with anything Mm -hmm. because whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever like strange clothes I wear, 
people are just gonna be like, oh, it's just an American, you know? Mm-hmm. And probably it's just an Amer- American student. She doesn't matter. Doesn't We don't need to take note of what she's doing. So you almost kind of feel like, like you can get away with something. Mm-hmm. Not that you'd be doing anything bad, but you know what I mean? Just being weird, being, or just like not knowing the rules, not knowing rules of society. People kind of forgive you for not knowing the rules of society, I suppose, mm-hmm. in those situations. But I don't know. I just cannot find anything positive about it except for that. Unless, of course, like you said, you're a celebrity and you are sick and tired of meeting people and having them already have a formed opinion of who you are mm-hmm. and basing you know, whatever encounter you have off of their pre-established opinion and maybe having a clean slate. That's the only positive I can kind of find in this. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm trying to think. I mean, as far as like a positive thing goes, I guess I kind of agree with you in that it felt very freeing. Like you didn't feel like there were any expectations on you at all. You know, like I guess that's sort of the same thing. There's nobody's expecting anything. You know, you can. Yeah, and you're not going to run into anyone you know. It's like I could, you know, make out with some random person on the street and I don't have to worry that my (laughs) priest is going to walk by because there's nobody (laughs) around here who knows me. I mean, obviously that was not your case, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And and so there I suppose there is something freeing in that that you can put in as much or as little effort as you want because nobody's taking any note. But I mean, I also did have that weird weird feeling of like, yeah, I couldn't speak the language, but half of the encounters on the street were not talking anyway. And what I never right. really understood was why am I so not notable? I encountered the same people on the street we lived on every single day. And when I come back to visit now, I see those same people and I recognize them. And I don't think they recognize me. And I'm like, why do they not recognize me? I mean, now I get why they don't recognize me. But back then when we're walking by each other every day, it's like, why do they not seem to recognize me at all? I think that what I look like is unusual enough that I don't just sort of blend into average society. Like, I'm not saying I'm extremely striking, but I have a few features that are unusual, I think. And mm-hmm. and I just think I don't look exactly like the locals, but at the same point, you'd be like, why does nobody recognize me? It's just like the weirdest thing. I don't know that it's that they didn't recognize you. I think it's, I think it's that it's, some Italians can be a little bit not wary of, of foreigners in the sense that they would be afraid, at least not people that look like you, not to be rude, but that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. But more of a sense of like just very low-grade xenophobia. She's not one of us, so uh, I'm not going to bother with her. You know, like you just said, she's not, she's not here long-term. She's just going to come and go. You know, she's just one of the people contributing to the turning Trastevere into one giant Airbnb, basically, although it was a little bit, it was a while ago that you lived there. Airbnb hadn't quite taken over as much, but I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing, right? I'm just, just guessing what people might be thinking, but you know, foreigners, especially to old, you know, the older generations, foreigners are not always that welcome, sadly. And I don't think that that's the rule or anything, but it can it can be an issue. Mm-hmm. But you think it was because, wh- however, I was dressing back then, it was <laughs> it was blatantly obvious that I was a foreigner, without because that's the other thing. It's like it's not like I don't look Italian. 
the coloring at least uh, is like kind of typically Italian. I mean, your your hair color, you don't really have that olive complexion, but, but I, not everybody does. Claudio, Claudio doesn't have it. But I do have it. Either. I do have an olive complexion. I, I, do you? And maybe it's just the light. You look so fair right now with the way that your light is shining on you. Um, perhaps. But I, you know, it's not just the coloring. It's the, it's the, you, I can see how a non-Italian person might think you were Italian. Yeah. Because that's but what I don't, people always I don't, ask. Always ask. Italian yeah. background or Italian or um, Greek or Spanish, you know, something in that mm -hmm. realm. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your features just, I don't know. You don't have the, like the hard features that, that often you find with Italians and Spaniards, not to say that, I mean, I'm being probably way too stereotypical right now, but I can kind of tell you're not Italian, but that's because I live here and I see Italians all the time. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, there's Italians who look, you know, Aurelio's Italian, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, does he look Italian? Absolutely not. And I don't even think Claudio looks very Italian. But the point is that it's much more than just your look, uh, your physical look. It's your, the way you dress, probably the way you even walk down the street. You're probably looking around you a lot more than a local would. You're taking things in. You're absorbing. You're probably walking at a different pace than, you know, somebody who lived there would walk. And probably your bag is different. Your shoes are different. And I think that there is an openness. I've always said this. There is an openness in Americans' faces that you don't see as much in Europeans. Just a sense of like approachability, like almost like if you came up to talk to me, I would stop and, and talk to you, you mm -hmm. know? And I've gleaned this from years of working with tourists from all different countries. And I used to, when I first started doing tours, before I actually started doing them, you know, I was, I was hawking them on the street to people and I could recognize the Americans. Now, sometimes I would make a mistake and they'd be English and not American. Very rarely they would be from a non-English speaking country. Uh, but that was very, very rare that I would, they would not get that they were English speakers. But the Americans, there's just something in the look. Americans and Canadians, I'd almost put them in the same group. But there's an openness. There's an approachability that I, I feel like Europeans don't have as much. They're a little bit more standoffish. Hmm. Even just the expression. So I think it could be any number of those things. Hmm. Well, going back to David Sedaris's comment, I mean, I could, <laughs> I, I could see one benefit. If you were, if you were an international spy... <laughs> <laughs> You'd be in a foreign country regardless if you were an international spy. Isn't that your job would be to be in an, a foreign country, right? True, but it would benefit you greatly if you were an anonymous person that people overlooked as a full human being. Okay, yeah. true. I'll give him that. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of can get it, but but I can't really relate. I can only relate as a temporary thing. As a like, oh, this is, um, this is novel. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be living in a place long term, you do not want that. No. Right? No, because it would just mean that you just stay on the edges, the fringes, the exterior of society the, the whole time. Yeah. yeah, who wants to be marginalized? And that's the other thing when he kind of says, well, you know, then after I've had these people take me for a, a, you know, a completely ignorant schmuck, then I, you know, then I tell them that, I, oh, I'm actually an important person. Well, or that and he I'm wants like, to tell them. He wants that. Wants yeah. To, okay. You know. He wants to tell them I'm actually, I'm actually a somebody. Unlike, I mean, what he doesn't say is, 
I'm not a nobody like the busboy and the hotel maid. Mm-hmm. I'm a somebody, you know, and I that's what rubbed me the wrong way. But don't you think that he's trying, well, maybe I don't know what he's trying to imply, but don't you think he's trying to imply that those, like the busboy and the maid are much bigger people and, you know, part of the privilege of, for him at least, living that experience is reframing how you see all of the people around you, even the ones that you yourself might be accidentally overlooking. Well, that's a much more generous way to look at it than than the way I looked at it. But you could be right. You could be right. I could have mis I could have misunder- misunderstood him. I just I remember having this conversation with my dad once, and I was pretty young. I was probably like, you know, a teenager, and I said to him something like, I don't know why I brought this. I said something like, Dad, you know, it's gosh, it's so important to be really respectful and polite to everybody you meet because you never know when you're talking to somebody who's like important. And he's like. You have to treat everybody with like that, even if they aren't important. You know, uh-huh. and I hear I thought it was being all like, you know, virtuous. And he like showed me up. It's like, no, no, everyone needs to be treated like that. Well, I mean, David Sedaris does make that somewhat stereotypical comment that you can judge a person quite a bit by the way that they treat the people they think they can uh, take advantage of or, or overlook. And I mean, I've always agreed with that because we've all met that person who just isn't that nice to, you know, the waiter or just says, ignores mm-hmm. the, you know, whoever ignores whoever they think is somehow below, I'm putting in quotes, below them. Mm-hmm. And it is such a, it is such a reveal of character. Of character. Mm-hmm. And not even, yeah, or of arrogance, I guess, or approach to life. I always say you can, you can also tell how people, like a person's personality by how they drive (laughs) you know like do you cut people off do you honk at people do you you know but that's a different topic (laughs) but I mean I think how you drive that's a that's a tricky one too because how you drive is so often dictated by where you are where you live that's true and what you must do to survive on the road (laughs) <laughs> no yeah it's true I do a lot of things in Rome that I could never get away with in in the states ever you know and and vice versa if I drove the way I would drive on Mercer Island where we grew up in Rome I would get flattened <laughs> yeah you know, like drove, I would be <laughs> and if you drove like you drive in Rome on Mercer Island you would get pulled over by the police oh immediately <laughs> <laughs> no actually you'd probably before I got pulled over I'd be I'd cause an accident, you know, because mm-hmm. that's just the thing. Just like Romans, like they're ready for anything, anything. And so they're very defensive drivers because they have to be. Yeah. And I've been in plenty of countries where honking is the norm. Like honking can mean anything from get out of my way to, oh, hi, you know, or like, hey, go ahead. <laughs> or, you know, the honking. Usually it's like, like the light is green. <laughs> Do you see that the light is green? Yeah, that's what we use it for here. Like get off your phone and go. Uh, yeah, or I think I told you the story about how, um, if you've ever been to Vietnam or some other Asian countries, but especially in Vietnam in this scenario, like everybody's on a motorbike or a bicycle or they're a pedestrian and occasionally there's a car going through all also. And one of the rules of the road is that the, the bigger vehicle is always liable. If a motorcycle and a a uh, car getting an accident, the car is liable. You know, it's uh-huh. just like, so, and it goes down and down and down. If a bike hits a pedestrian, the bike is liable. The bike, okay. Um, but 
I was on the back of a motorbike once and I don't know what my driver did, something she wasn't supposed to do. And the old woman on the motorbike next to her just smacked her, <laughs> like reached off across and slapped her in the face. <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, uh, and I was of course very surprised because you know, you wouldn't do that in the States. Uh, I mean, I guess some people do park their cars and jump out and get into a fight, but uh, and she was just like, yeah, yeah, sorry, my bad. That oh, was... my gosh, she just took it. <laughs> she said that was totally my fault. I shouldn't have done whatever it was that she did. She was right to hit me. <laughs> See, that's nuts. That's nuts. See, in Italy, if you honk at someone because they did something really wrong, and I mean, I've I've done it. I've honked at people for doing something wrong. They will give you an expression or a hand gesture or shout mm. something mm. if, you know, even if you can't hear them. That makes it absolutely clear to you that they think that you are the one who did something wrong. I mean, even if it's like 150% obvious that it was them. And I mean, I've been on the other side of that where I'm like, oh my God, I just did something dumb. And I always put my hand up like, and, and like say, sorry, that's my Americanness coming out. But I do, I always say, sorry. And, and a lot of times people who are like, they've got this absolutely furious face. And when I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. They, they calm down sometimes, not mm -hmm. all the time. But when I'm on the other end of it and I'm honking because some guy just swerved in front of me and, you know, changed lanes from the third lane on the right and to turn and turned left in front of me, <laughs> they look at you like they're like they turn if you honk, they turn and look at you like you are some piece of garbage on the bottom <laughs> of their shoe. You're like, what? They're like, what? what? It's just yeah. ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous. It's it's a miracle. I'm not going to say it. That I have never, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to knock on wood, but you know, it's a miracle. <laughs> do you, do you have a, um, is there a particular hand gesture in Italy that we don't have over here? That's basically like the most insulting, the most, uh, I mean, it's probably the most, I, I, I would assume that the most insulting hand gesture is the finger just like it is in the States. That's probably the worst, mm -hmm. but you know, yes, Italy does have a lot of hand gestures, you know, there's the classic, you know, fingers held together and mm -hmm. shaking your hand. Yeah. Um, that's not that rude. That's like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? Uh -huh. What's the deal? Yeah. It's, you know, Aurelia will do this to me if I say something weird. I'll be like, you know, he'll give me that gesture. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit worse is to put your hands together, flat together, like you're clapping, but kind of flat, not up, but, but pointing like out your hands are, yes, you're, and then shaking your hands like that. That's a little bit more adamant. Of course, not easy to do while you're driving because yeah. you've got to use both hands. <laughs> right. Some people will maybe do it. Then there's this, which is, I mean, this is not an, an ideal topic for a podcast because you can't <laughs> see what I'm doing, but you hold your hand out, like uh, your fingers sort of spread out and by your head, by your ear, and you kind of twist your hand back and forth. Yeah. You like sw swivel your hand back and forth. That means you're crazy. Yeah. That's pretty bad. That's worse than the other two that I just mentioned. Like you're absolutely crazy. Very nice. um, those are the ones I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> we used to joke that that you can pretty much do anything in Seattle traffic wise. I don't know if this still holds today because we our city has expanded its population so dramatically that some of the rules of the road have changed. But it used to be that you could pretty much get away with anything as long as you waved afterwards. You know, <laughs> make sure the person saw your waving hand. Here's but, something uh, yeah. you can get away with in Italy that you can't get away with. Definitely not in LA. Oh God. Definitely not in LA. Let's say you're like, um, you gotta like, like the the road is merging and yeah. you or it's dividing. The road's dividing, and you gotta go right. There's two lanes. The street is dividing. In the, on the right lane, there's like it's all backed up. 
right? And the left-hand side is just going fast. You can ride that left lane up to the very last second mm-hmm. and you can push in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might get like one out of a hundred people will not let you in. But the other 99 people just let you in. Mm-hmm. And I think they do it because they know that they've done it too. I mean, rules the road. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Just keep using, we could get into this. You're supposed What are you supposed to do? I, I've even interviewed a traffic expert about this. When you see one of those ones where it puts the sign up where it's like this road, like the left lane's going to end and you need to merge eventually. What this expert said is that what would make everything move faster, even though it's counterintuitive, is if everybody didn't merge until the last minute. Because if everybody sees the sign and immediately starts to try to get over, essentially what happens is you have two lanes and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you only have one because that car is trying to move mm. over. And if they just would go all the way to the end, the two lanes are in operation until the right. merge needs to happen. That makes that makes so much more sense. But, but it's counterintuitive because, like it, yeah, it's, in, in the U.S. it would be it's considered rude to like take it all the way to the front. It's the I take it all the way to the front because I'm like, it's the right thing to do. I've talked to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to take this all the way to the front. I'm actually making things easier for you by cutting you off. Trust me. <laughs> I know. Trust me. This is the way it should be done. Like a zipper. Like a <laughs> zipper, people. Um... <laughs> Katie here. So many movies and books are about falling in love in Italy. And maybe you've had that dream for yourself. You find yourself in Italy, in Rome, perhaps. And you see a barista that gets you your coffee every single morning, and they are exquisite. They're friendly and kind, and would you believe it, they seem to be interested in you too. It is to be a romance that you've never experienced before. But what if it also leads to the greatest heartbreak of your life? You can hear the intriguing and accident-filled story of an Italian love affair gone wrong. It's on a bonus episode released yesterday. Listeners who contribute a monthly donation have already heard it, perhaps, and you can join them at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. Your monthly support of the show goes a long way, and for as little as $5 a month or more, if you can afford it, you'll get two bonus episodes every month. An Italian love affair gone terribly, terribly wrong. Patreon.com slash the Bittersweet Life Podcast. There are links in the show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. All right. So you to just end though, you feel like your time as sort of the overlooked anonymous in Italy did not last that long. No. No, I don't think so. Like I have said in previous episodes, I will never feel 100% thoroughly integrated. I'll never feel like a local. But it's far from feeling like a non-entity, especially because, you know, now I live in a small neighborhood with my local supermarket and my kid's school. And so I know, you know, I know people, a lot of people I know because I just know them. A lot of people, I don't know them, but they see me all the time. So, you know, and they've seen me for six years. So, or they know me because they're like, oh, you're Louise's daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know me through her or, oh, you're Aurelio's mom or you're Claudio's wife, you know? So, so no, I don't feel anonymous anymore. And I don't, I don't think that it lasted that long, but definitely different, definitely feel different. 
Yeah. But you've said in the past that you like that difference enough. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. I mean, obviously there are, there are moments, mm -hmm. but for the most part, yes. All right. Well, we should leave it there. Thank you, David Sedaris, for those thoughts. And if you've never <laughs> heard the Santa Land Diaries, put a note on your calendar to try to find it somewhere around the holidays next year, because it truly is a delight of a story. If you celebrate Christmas, it's a fun, fun story to listen to around Christmas time. Highly recommend it. All right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Do you have a topic you want us to explore? Send your requests. We'd love to hear what you want to know. Visit thebittersweetlife.net and contact us with your questions, your adventures, your observations, your favorite episodes. We love hearing from you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. Bye.